Hello and welcome to Not If I Reboot You First, the podcast that takes our favorite properties and reboots them before Hollywood has the chance to. It's a little bit like brainstorming fanfiction. I'm Lindsay and I use she, her pronouns. I'm Tanner, they, them, and not for nothing, but I think at least one of Aaron Sorkin's shows deserves some rights. Okay. Um, okay, maybe two, but we're not talking about the newsroom. Tonight we're talking about Sports Night, which was Aaron Sorkin's first television show on ABC, aired from 1998 to 2000, uh, and was chosen for us this week by the people of the People's Choice. Yes, thank you. Thank you, people, for letting me talk about the show that I have a hyper-focus on. Yeah, it it comes up surprisingly a lot Yeah, for someone who's not into sports. Well, here's the thing. So, okay, so the premise of Sports Night is that it's about a fictional sports news show called Sports Night. Okay. It's um, a cable news channel owned by the CSE, the Continental Sports Channel. This, this is relevant. The not SP- ESPN. <laughs> no, it's not as ESPN. Um... CSC is owned by Continental Corp, which is owned by Luther Sachs. Luther Sachs will be important. Okay. But the main focus of the show is on the anchors Dan Rydell and Casey McCall. Mm -hmm. Dan Rydell is a nice Jewish boy who has trouble meeting women and keeping women and also um, has a bit of a complex with his parents and also just being perceived as cool. Ah. That guy. Okay. Yeah, that guy. Um, Casey McCall is um, played by Peter Krause, and he's extremely attractive. <laughs> okay. He is, he's a recent divorcee who shares custody of his kid with his ex-wife, and he kind of has a thing for their producer, Dana Whitaker, who is played by Felicity Huffman, who unfortunately was also the main character in Transamerica and was also involved in the college bribery scandal. So for my intents and purposes, in my memories, she's actually just a life model decoy that resembles Felicity Huffman. Okay. Dana Whitaker is played by Hatsune Miku. (laughs) Actually, no. Honestly, Felicity Huffman's crimes are not nearly as bad as so many other people, and the Transamerica thing, you know, I'm sure it was fair for its day. I've never seen the movie. But, you know, it has a cis woman playing a trans woman, so I'm sure it's not great. That's neither here nor there. The rest of the cast is rounded out by Natalie Hurley, who's the senior associate producer for Sports Night. She is played by Sabrina Lloyd, who got killed off in Slider so that she could join this show. And okay. the newly hired Jeremy Goodwin is associate producer and research analyst, played by Joshua Molina, who has an on-again, off-again relationship with Natalie. And uh, Isaac Jaffe, played by Robert Guillami, who's the voice of Rafiki in The Lion King. Okay. He is the uh, managing editor and basically the head of the sports part of the network okay he's everyone's boss and also father figure cool they just they just everyone everyone just likes walking into his office and telling him their problems which is pretty much the equivalent of me casually strolling into my grocery manager's office and saying hey i need to tell you about some poetry quotes that relate to my love life yeah that's like that's popping my head over the partition between myself and my boss's cubicles and being like hey <laughs> I need to tell you about like this weird encounter I had at the park. <laughs> but yeah, so Sports Night, as I mentioned, Aaron Sorkin, who later went on to create The West Wing and The Newsroom and Studio 60. No one mentioned Studio 60 unless they want to hold it against him. So I'm going to mention Studio 60. Okay. <laughs> it was bad. Aaron Sorkin wouldn't know a joke if it bit him on the ass, and yet somehow he's still funny. <sighs> yeah, weird paradox. He knows how to... From what I understand and from what little I've seen, he does know how to do the quippy walking and talking stuff. Yes, and that's why that's why it's so... Even if Aaron Sorkin's politics are a little bit middling, and by middling I mean very centrist, it's very, it's very much the deification of cleverness in Aaron Sorkin's world, which means that you could be a terrible person, but if you can be real quippy and you know if you're an English major, <laughs> then you're A-OK on his book. Yeah. If Aaron Sorkin tried to write the West Wing today, it would fail because he would try and introduce, like, token good Republicans, and everyone who's watching the West Wing is just so disillusionized with the prospect of that, probably. Mm-hmm. Mind you, there's still plenty of liberals who are like, let's reach across the aisle to the people who want to do an entire... Uh, don't have time to get into it. West Wing... <sighs> and I even... I don't have... I, listen, I was able to binge all the sports night over the past week. 
Yeah. Because it's only 45, 20-minute episodes. I, I won't be able to... I can't get into the West Wing. I can't get into the West Wing. All I, Everything I know about the West Wing, I learned from the, like, two 10-minute compilations of just Aaron Sorkin's reused quotes. Yeah. Interestingly enough, the things that I think are better than West Wing are, like, two Shakespeare adaptations. Mostly because they're using Sorkinian walking and talking. That's the thing. Like, I, I may not like what Aaron Sorkin writes all the time, but I've always been a fan of how he writes it. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, I am pretty confident that I could replicate his style. Yeah. Like, it doesn't seem that hard to do, but I guess it really depends on definitions of humor and all that sort of stuff. And what is yeah. quippiness? Yeah. Here's the thing. Like, one of his definitions of humor, just to, it seems to just be repetition. Mm-hmm. Like, someone will come in and say something, and someone will be like, like, like I'd walk in, and I'd be like, did you hear about the guy from Wisconsin? And you'd be like, there's a guy from Wisconsin? I'd be like, yeah. And you'd be like, what's up with the guy with Wisconsin? And like, he's from Wisconsin. And he's a guy? Yeah, he's a guy. From Wisconsin? Yeah, from Wisconsin. That sounds so much like who's on who's on first. No, actually, you know what? It, it's more like it's more like that Tumblr post where it's like, you got kicked out of Walmart for being homophobic. You got kicked out of Walmart? Yeah. What were you doing in Walmart that got you kicked out of Walmart? I was being homophobic. In Walmart? Yeah, in Walmart. Yeah, no, I think you can be a lot more clever than just using repetition. Yeah, so that's, I guess that's his second sin. His first sin is his centrist politics and just deification of billionaires, which kind of falls into the same thing. Mm-hmm. His second sin is just u- using repetition as a catch-all for humor. And to the point where I, as I was listening to the second season, second season of Sportsland is not great. But it's used so often, it's just like, wow, this could have been a 10-minute episode with how much does not happen. Yikes! His third sin is his women. <laughs> it's hard to explain Aaron Sorkin's women, because at face value, they're all pretty strong, well-rounded characters. And, you know, Alice and Janney CJ from West Wing probably gets the most well-roundedness on account of, you know, she gets a whole seven seasons, and she is not designated love interest at birth. Okay. Um, but a lot of his women characters, they'll be, like, like all powerful and bravado, but it's like, their victories are because they're women, and they have the feminine wiles. But when they fail, the, oh man, they really need a man to swoop in and save them. Okay. Hmm. Or a man to come in and tell them that they're doing a big thing badly. And it's like, if, if it was more balanced than that... But it, and it, it is really hard to describe, but if you watch Sports Night, which is, is probably the most even-handed of all of them, but still, you watch it and you really get the feeling that, like, oh, Dana, Dana and Natalie are the love interests for Casey and Jeremy first and characters second. Yikes. So, yeah. Um, and his fourth sin, specific to Sports Night, is that it's just bad. <laughs> the second season is just bad. So listen, okay. So the first season of Sports Night, it's, Mainly about Casey and Dana kind of getting together, but very early on in the first season, Dana gets together with a guy named Gordon. So then Casey spends the season kind of being like, oh, he switches between I am sad that Dana is dating Gordon and I do not care about Dana. What are you talking about? I'm not in love with her. The whole season is spent on that. And it's, it's a major plot turn when we find out that Gordon is cheating on Dana with the woman that Casey is casually sleeping with. Um, because Casey has been missing a shirt all episode, and then Sally, the woman he's sleeping with, who's also the executive producer of the 2AM show of the West Coast Update, because they're in New York. Okay. But Sally does the West Coast Update, and she has a rivalry with Sports Night, because she's been angling for Dana's job, basically, since Dana got the job. Okay. Um, but yeah, so Casey starts casually sleeping with Sally, and then Sally walks into his office, and she's like, I couldn't find your shirt, and Casey's like, I'm sure it'll turn up, and then later on, Gordon is visiting the office, and Casey goes, Gordon, you're wearing my shirt. And it's like, oh, Gordon cheated on Dana. And then near the end of the season, Gordon's like, Dana, let's get engaged. And Dana's like, this is great. And then she finds out that Gordon slept with Sally. And then she, she kicks about and she's single. And then Dana and Casey immediately get together at the first episode of season two. The second episode of season two, Dana walks into Casey's office and says, Dana, I have a plan. We're You should date other women for six months. Okay. Her logic being... That Casey has only ever had one serious relationship, and it ended because that was his ex-wife, Lisa, and she doesn't want him to get together with her, and then it's not what he, like, she doesn't want him to feel obligated to stay with her, and so she wants him to know that she's what he wants, but she's always been what he wants, and then she pushes him away, so now she's no longer what he wants, and it's like, you spend the entire first season developing this romance, and then you immediately shoot it right out of the gate. 
I this is this is Ross and Rachel's stupidity. This is Finn and Rachel's stupidity. Yeah, this is a problem that a lot of writers seem to have when it's like you're building up a couple, they become official, but for whatever reason you're not able to write them as a couple, or you don't even try. He, or like, you he don't didn't even try. try. Yeah, or you don't even try. All because, like, it. I think part of it is, like, the longing and the wanting for the relationship, especially for the fans, is what they really want. Yeah. <sighs> and, yeah, and then I think, like, once once that happens, season two just starts circling the drain. Um, and I think, so, the Sports Night got cancelled after two seasons. Cancellation was probably a combination of factors. Aaron Sorkin was also working on the West Wing at the same time, so mm-hmm. his attention was split. Yeah. Also, Robert Guillaume had a stroke at Ooh. near the end of the first season. And so they wrote that into the character. And so the second season is mostly just Isaac Jaffe dealing with recovering from his stroke. And yeah. it it kind of sucks because most episodes, he like when he has a subplot, it's just like, the, the stroke happened and this is how his head impacted my life and I am sad about it. And like, obviously it's good to have that there and happen because like, shouldn't have just let him go because he had a stroke, especially like in real life, it was a much more minor stroke compared to the characters. But obviously he can't do his strenuous stuff, and so you don't want to give him his strenuous stuff, but it is just kind of a, a sad thing that couldn't be helped. And just the writing in season two was not very good, and there were a whole bunch of arcs that go nowhere. It's like Dan starts seeing a therapist, but then that kind of peters off near the end, and then Dan and Casey get into a fight, but it doesn't really seem to have any purpose for character development other than we wanted them to be fighting for a few episodes. Jeremy breaks up with Natalie because they're too different, and J- Jeremy acts like a crotchety old man, and Natalie wants to be a hot, young 26-year-old. And then Jeremy starts dating a porn star, and then she breaks up with him two episodes later because she can tell he's ashamed of dating a porn star. Um, Dana's brother gets um, suspended for doing steroids because he's a starting linebacker for his college team, and that's only two episodes, and then it vanishes. Dana has a romance with William H. Macy? Why? So William H. Macy plays um, a guy named Sam Donovan. He comes in as a ratings analyst to try and boost Sports Night's ratings because they're a third-rate show on a fourth-rate network. And and then he and Dana, they butt heads, but then they kind of start to fall for each other. And then they finally kiss, and Dana's like, stay, like he's leaving. And he's like, I don't know when I'll be back. And Dana's like, well, stay an extra night, and I'll get you a cake after the show. And then, like, as the episode ends, you just see him walking out with all of his luggage. And then Dana never mentions him again! She's not even sad, and she was gonna get him a cake! That's... fucking bizarre. Yeah, it's just... Season 2 was just a whole bunch of plots that went nowhere, and it was a pain to watch, especially compared to Season 1. And also, when I was binging this the past week, this was the first time I had ever seen Season 2. I had only ever seen, like, the first two-thirds of Season 1, and then something would always happen during my rewatch attempts. Huh, okay. But yeah, so, like, this is my exposure to Season 2, and I'm like, huh. You know, there's bits and pieces here, but it, it ain't great. Yeah. So... I have a plan, though. Okay. So, I want to say, this is also, if, if my math is correct, this is the first episode that comes out in June, which is Pride Month. And one thing Aaron Sorkin doesn't realize he's good at <laughs> is writing extremely homoerotic relationships between men. Oh, okay! Also, Aaron Sorkin has never had a queer character in his main cast, so just want to put that out there. <laughs> Mr. Champion of the, of the left of center. Huh. So, anyway. Anyway. Holy shit, Dan and Casey are in love. Okay. Not not Dana. Dan. Dan and Casey. Cool. They are so tight together. They're the bestest of friends. They talk about everything with each other. The real clincher for me deciding this is um, episode 8, Thespis, um, which among other things involves Dan being um, mad at Casey because Casey forgot their anniversary of doing a show together, like the first time they anchored a show together. And it's sad for Casey because that was also the day that he knew his marriage was going to end because he had the opportunity to take over for um, Conan O'Brien as a late night talk show TV host. And instead he decided to co-host a a middling sports, uh, sports network with Dan. And so Casey is like, oh, I chose Dan over my wife, and now this day is kind of sad. But, you know, it's also happy, because I chose Dan over my wife. And I'm sitting here like, Dan, you did choose Dan over your wife. Holy shit. (laughs) Oh my god! Damn, these bitches gay. Good for them. 
can we get bisexual male representation that isn't fucking gross? Yes. Okay. Well, Casey is going to be gay. Okay. But Dan is going to be bi. Because I'm going to keep Dan's attempts at being with women. And they're going to fail not because he is not interested in women, but because he is... He's so focused on Casey that he he doesn't realize he's in love with Casey and the interest peters out because nothing ever matches what he has with Casey. And he's like, I just guess women can't compare to male friendships. And the audience is sitting here like, yes, friendships. Friendship. Hard (laughs) quotation marks. (laughs) So, and so I'm going to retool kind of the setup for this as well. Some other background information that I am taking and I'm tweaking is that Dana and Casey and Casey's ex-wife, Lisa, they all went to college together. I'm going to rearrange that so that Dan also went to college with them. Yeah. Dan and Casey did used to co-anchor a show together, but then like in the, in the past, something happened and like they went their separate ways. Now Mm -hmm. in the original sports night, Dan and Casey have been hosting sports night to the show for two years now. It is, it is a very recent show, but this was also in 98. And like, even then, one of the subplots churning in the background was the fact that they couldn't always get a foothold because they had launched a sports, a cable sports network in an already saturated market. Okay. Which was not a bright idea back then. Probably a terrible idea now. Yeah. I'm going to say instead of them having hosted Sports Night for like a few years and it's still being a newer show, they are taking over the show from the previous anchors. And so I'm actually going to pull a Studio 60 in that the previous anchor or anchor... No, I'm just going to say there's just one anchor of Sports Night. The previous anchor of Sports Night gets kicked out for being, like, a horrible sex pest, probably. This <laughs> this will be important later. This is a tool we're setting aside for later. So he gets removed, and then the um, executive producer gets fired for basically allowing him to get away with that stuff. And so then Dana Whitaker gets promoted. Also, Dana Whitaker, in my vision is played by Olivia Munn, because Olivia Munn was one of the best parts of the newsroom, and if Olivia Munn can fucking act, she deserves at least 17 Emmys, and I want her to be in more things. Yes. Like, more things that are better than, like, X-Men Apocalypse, even though she was a really good choice for Psylocke. You know what? She's a great choice for Psylocke, and I hope hope one good thing Disney does when they scramble that universe is they bring her back to be Psylocke. Yes. And let her be Psylocke. Yes! I want to see her kicking ass in Psychic Katanas! (laughs) But until then, I can settle for Olivia Munn being Dana Whitaker, the newly promoted executive producer for Sports Night. Yeah. And she gets promoted by Isaac Jaffe, who is basically the same character. Unfortunately, he can't still be played by Robert Kiyami because he died in 2017, but a similar vibe. uh, So she gets promoted and he's like, you reassemble Sports Night so it can be a good show. And she's like, I'm going to call my college friends Dan and Casey. And so she uh, gets Casey in probably from like, actually, they're probably both field reporters at this point. She pulls them in from like opposite ends of the country. Dan rolls in like, yeah, it's great to be in New York. I love it. Yeah, New York Renaissance. You ever ride the subway just to feel the power of being in New York? These are actually things he says in the premiere. (laughs) Holy fuck. From what I've heard, the the New York subway is like apocalyptic. Dan Dan is a little pretentious. (laughs) Okay. Because, like, they have found new strains of buponic plague down in the New York subways. (laughs) (laughs) New York Renaissance! (laughs) Oh yeah, it's a renaissance. You're getting all the aspects of the old renaissance. (laughs) Um... (laughs) She brings Dan in. She brings Casey in. Casey is absolutely miserable because he is, like, Three months out of a terrible marriage, trying to retain custody of his kid. He's gay, but he doesn't know it. Yeah. And so they're, they're like, the, the pilot is them trying to rebuild their friendship. And the pilot will have kind of, like, the same climax that the original pilot did. Because, like, one of the small arcs going on in the pilot is that JJ, nobody likes JJ. JJ is, like, the liaison between Luther Sachs and Sports Night. Okay. And he's like, uh, we want you to cut this bit because it is uh, not in the interest of the network and it's not like interesting to the 17 to 34 demographic. And the part that they want to cut in the pilot was a story about a man in South Africa who had been like fighting for uh, equal rights and then had his legs broken. He was thrown in prison. And then when he got out, he was told he'd never walk again. And now he is running in the... Um, the pan global games or whatever off-brand 
international track and field situation that they were able to get a hold of. Um, and in the pilot, like they want him to cut the story, and then just before the show starts, the they're watching him, and he not only is able to successfully run the track, but he breaks a world record while doing it. And so then, like Casey gets reinvigorated, and he calls his son, and he says, "Like watch the TV, watch this guy. I'll explain it to you later at breakfast, but it's so cool." And ask your mom to be able to stay up and watch the first part of the show when we talk about this. It's so great. Because, like, another reason that Casey was in a shitty mood in the pilot is that he's, like, looking over all the terrible stuff that's been coming out of sports. Like, athletes being, like, abusive to their wives and drug problems and, like, capitalist bullshit. That kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I hate that I have to spin all these terrible things into sports stories and that these are the people that Char- my son Charlie is supposed to look up to. And then, like, at the end it's like, oh, wait, there are still good things happening in sports that Charlie can look up to and there are still things that it can inspire people about. The first season, my my first season, is going to play out very similarly to the original first season, probably at least for the first two thirds. Um, so there is going to be a Gordon that shows up and starts dating Dana. Casey is probably going to start sleeping with Sally because, hey, if he sleeps with Sally hard enough, maybe he can be heterosexual. <laughs> uh, no, you are thoroughly bi. No, Casey is gay. Dan is bi. Okay. Oh, okay. That's that's why it's gonna be so. Casey is gonna realize his whole situation probably about halfway through the season. Dan okay. is gonna take for the rest just because he has that other outlet. Yeah. He's gonna be like, I can't be attracted to Casey. I'm attracted to women. And at some point, someone will hit him in the head with a big book and say, "You can do both." <laughs> que de los dos. <laughs> <laughs> also, the like some of the best episodes were in season one. Um, there was Mary Pat Shelby was an episode about the the show gets an interview with a football star who had like like earlier that week this is a fictional guy but in universe earlier that week he had been charged with assault and battery against his girlfriend and now they get an interview with him and they're like yes this is great this is going to be such great hard-hitting news and then immediately after they start promoting the interview they get hit with like the um the the requirements or whatever for the interview. And they're not allowed to ask any questions about his girlfriend, Mary Pat Shelby. Yeah. And so they're like, Oh shit, whatever. Um, we'll make the best of this out of a bad situation that we can. And then Dana sends Natalie to the locker room to do a pre-interview with him. And then when Natalie comes back, she's like acting like real shaken and she's like holding her arm funny. And they like afterwards, they soon find out that he had exposed himself to her and then like grabbed her wrist and hurt her. And so, the the rest of the episode is Dana, she goes to the representatives and she's like, I will, I can probably convince my associate producer that what happened didn't happen and she won't talk about it if you allow us to ask questions about Mary Pat Shelby. And then it just becomes this whole moral thing of like, are you really going to trade one Me Too story for another Me Too story? Like, what what is the right thing to do? Are you doing a big thing badly? And then in the end, uh, Dana announces that she is calling off the interview completely. He does not even get a platform for this. And they are going to report on it, but like both the Mary Pat Shelby stuff and what happened to Natalie. And they're not going to give him a word, word, eh, not going to let him have a chance to get a word in edgewise. Yeah. And then the next episode deals with the fallout of all that, like Natalie getting death threats because she had the audacity to be a woman in a locker room doing an interview. The, the passion that like literally she gets a death threat that's saying the passion of the game overtook him. And so he can't be blamed for his actions. And meanwhile, everyone's walking around egg on eggshells around her, and she feels like like complains that they're treating her like she's made of glass, and she just wants to like th- them to remind her that she's a normal person and not some kind of weird cocktail party joke going on. So those are both two very strong episodes. Sometimes Aaron Sorkin can do things properly. Yes. Um, then shortly after that, there was the episode Thespis, which I mentioned, which is the, the my favorite episode of Sports Night because it is truly hilarious. <laughs> okay. Uh, so. It's, it starts, uh, so it's, that's the one where Dan is mad at Casey for forgetting their anniversary, and then while Casey is trying to ask people what the day is, Jeremy, who is like, he's such a neurotic nerd idiot, and he's a font of useless knowledge, and he's like, today is the day, first day that Thespis became the first actor in ancient Greece, (laughs) and now his ghost haunts entertainment venues to cause mischief. And then the entire show just gets plagued with mischief, including the main one being Dana has been defrosting a turkey in the lighting grid as a dry run for Thanksgiving the next week. And then (laughs) after a series of mishaps, she storms out, like during commercial break, she storms out on into the shooting area and she's like, 
Um, I'm not gonna let some 3,000-year-old Roman god mess with my show, Jeremy behind her. Actually, he's a 6,000-year-old Greek ghost. Well, I'm a 33-year-old television producer, and I... <laughs> I don't let anything go wrong with my show unless I demand it. Now, why the hell is there water dripping on the desk? And then the turkey just boom. <laughs> <laughs> so she scoops it up and awkwardly leaves. And then during the commercial break, Dan walks into Isaac's office and Isaac, who's been watching the monitors. Did I just see a 28 pound frozen turkey fall out from the lighting grid onto your desk? Actually, it's 24 pounds. Why was there a 24 pound turkey in the lighting grid? Oh, Isaac. Would you like the answer even if I told you? Eh, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> and then, off the top of my head, the other really, really good episode was their Christmas episode, which um, the main plot is there's a, fo a college football player who is risking suspension because him and six of his teammates are refusing to play for the school because they're flying the Confederate flag. And mm, yeah. him and about half the teammates are black. And there's a few... They throw some white guys in there, too. There's some comfortable white guys in 1998. Mm. Um, and so they actually have Isaac come out on air and do a whole speech about why the Confederate flag is, like, a, a testament to all, everything that sucks about the South. And, like, it, it, it tarnishes the name of any positive thing you want to say about the South. And, like, he praises the athlete and the other six Southern gentlemen of Tennessee. That's what the episode is called, the six Southern gentlemen of Tennessee. And then he calls out Luther Sachs and he says, you are a donor of this university and I want you to get on the phone with the dean and say that you will not be giving him any more money until he removes the Confederate flag and reinstates these young men. Good. And, and that really just kind of sets off the through line of the rest of, really, the rest of the show. Because the rest of the show is just them dealing with budget issues, having to cut some stuff, having to basically sneak the good stories in when they can, and Luther looking for a reason to fire Isaac after he quote-unquote humiliated him on live TV and then just everything keeps on piling up and even the stroke Isaac comes back like twice as fast as is recommended because he is worried that if he doesn't then Luther will use that as reason to fire him install someone bad for the show in his place mm -hmm. yeah so most of that pretty much still happens in my version of Sports Night um, the main difference is going to be that after sleeping with Sally a few times, Case is going to realize, oh, the reason I'm not feeling anything isn't because I have a crush on Dana, it's because I have a crush on Dan. And that's, oh, so that was another thing. <laughs> okay. I'm telling this in horribly anachronic order. So another of the running gags was that Natalie was a huge shipper for Casey and Dana to get together, and she was always, like, sharing Dana's personal information with Casey to try and help him make a move. It, it sounds worse than it was. Okay. If Listen, if it was Jeremy sharing Dana's personal information, that'd be creepy. But it's Natalie. Natalie and Dana are, like, explicitly best friends and, like, have girl solidarity together. So yeah. I'm willing to let it slide. But the whole thing is, like, I think it does make it funnier in my version that Natalie is just completely off base trying to get Dana together with Casey. <laughs> um, so, yeah, partway through, Casey realizes he has a crush on Dan. And I'm actually going to insert a new thing where it was, like, the reason that Dana and Casey kind of are believed to have had a thing before is because, like, everyone knows the story of when they were in college, like, they first met because Casey heard that Dana went through a bad breakup and he sent her, like, flowers and chocolates just to make her feel better. And then, and Casey's like, oh, no, that doesn't count. I was super drunk that then it was Valentine's Day and there was a lot of emotions going on. I, like, I didn't really mean anything by it. I was just trying to be nice, but I'm glad that we were friends after. Yeah. Um, and then Dana... Oh, wait, no. Okay, I sorry. I have to wreck on my memories. Because, <laughs> no, I remembered. It's, it's not Casey spontaneously realizing. It's, it's, this is how he realizes. Because, like, somehow that story gets back to Dana, and Dana's like, yeah, I don't know why he thought he heard that I had a breakup, because I didn't have a breakup on Valentine's Day. Dan had a breakup, but I didn't have a breakup. And then Casey realizes, oh, I was drunk, and I wrote, wrote Dana on that card instead of Dan. I meant to send these to Dan. Oh, no, I've been in love with Dan since college. <laughs> And so, like, the rest of the season is Casey, like, kind of, like, do, do I say anything? Do I keep it to myself? Do I say anything? Do I keep it to myself? Um, meanwhile, Dan is doing his own thing. Um, his main thing for that half of the season originally, and which I'm mostly keeping, is that he starts flirting with a woman who works in the accounting department of the building um, named Rebecca. Rebecca's backstory in the show is that she was married to a sportscaster who was emotionally abusive, and I'm gonna keep that, but I'm changing it so said shitty husband is also the previous anchor for Sports Night who was let go. 
This doesn't change much other than just tie events of the show together a little tighter. Anyway, she and Dan have a cute romance, and much like the show, it's very much a slow burn because she thinks all sportscasters are the same, and he doesn't want to force his way past any boundaries that she's not ready to bring down yet. Eventually, they do kind of get together. And they, they have a cute romance, but in my version, like, they still have kind of a flirtmance, but it's like, it's... Everything seems to go back to Casey when Dan is telling stories, and at some point Rebecca's gonna say, Dan, do you like me? Yes, I like you. Do you like Casey? Well, yeah, but not the way I like you. No, you don't like Casey the way you like me. You like him more than me. And that's that's gonna be kind of the the the, the first crack. Yeah. In in Dan's heterosexual wall. And then he's gonna be like, that, 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 nah, no, nah, that can't be true. That's impossible. That doesn't make sense. I'm only in love with women, surely. <laughs> um and then the 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 one that will make him the, do the full realization um because there was so early in season 1 um there's a big character who shows up she is a substitute anchor for when Casey has the night off and um her name is Bobby Bernstein and she's introduced with Dan going she's a crazy woman because she thinks I slept with her in Spain and didn't call her back and I've never even been to Spain <laughs> And then, like, in the season finale, she returns, and she shows him a picture of the two of them in Spain. How does he not remember Spain? I don't know how he didn't remember Spain, because he looks at the picture, and his first words are, the Hotel España's in Spain. <laughs> and then he goes, no, I know that's not you, I know this woman, her name's Roberta. And then he looks at her, and he's like, Bobby Bernstein. She's like, yes, Roberta Bobby Bernstein, nice to meet you. <laughs> But there's no reason given for why Dan failed to call her or send her flowers. In my version, the reason... So, he was probably on a bender while they're, like... He was doing some kind of Olympic coverage in Paris. Way too much wine and sangria. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he made his way to Spain... Or somewhere in Europe where you can easily get to Spain. Yeah, so probably either France or Portugal or... Yeah, yeah. France or Portugal. He ended up in the hotel, and then after Bobby... Like, he got distracted because he heard Casey was in town. I was like, oh, I'll go meet up with my good friend Casey. And this is once again. So remember how Casey chose Dan over his wife? Well, now here's Dan choosing Casey over Bobby. Yes. <laughs> and then, like, the season finale. Not a So I don't know if I would have Isaac having the stroke again in this one. Hmm. Um, on the one hand, if I did have it, Presumably the actor would not be having a stroke, and so I could actually give the actor more plot lines to do in the future, other than yeah. things having to do with their stroke. On the other hand, like because the stroke only happened because Robert Guillaume had the stroke in real life, mm -hmm. I don't know. Um, because like the main, the main plot of the season finale of season one is Dana breaking up with Gordon and trying to get her ca new camera to work, mm -hmm. and then Isaac is able to return after like a four-episode absence. Okay. The main plot of the season one finale, in my version, is uh, Casey and Dan professing their love for each other. Yeah. Now, season two is where things go kind of off the rails for this. Because the main crux of season two is, okay, so Dan and Casey are together, but they are still closeted. Like, very few people know. And over the course of the season two, it is basically going to be slowly but surely telling their friends about their situation together. And maybe the audience picking up on something. So I have watched um, quite a bit of sports TV because I come from a jock family. <laughs> <laughs> this is fairly well established. And um, especially when the anchors are former uh, athletes themselves, especially like hockey players, they tend to chirp at each other. Like they will do the whole banter shit. And it's usually very friendly. How about we make it like just ever little bit of flirting going on <laughs> yeah i mean that that is definitely going to show um more in the second season because yeah like par part of the charm of the show both in universe and out is the banter and the chemistry that the two have mm -hmm. so yeah just expand on that <laughs> you even have like maybe at some point dana comments from the uh booth boys can you stop flirting with each other and do the news and they like they both kind of turn right right and like yes <laughs> sports <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I did the whole cough and, like, adjust the collar a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so that's the other thing, is that at some point in season two, rumor come out, does Dan <laughs> and Casey is gay? <laughs> and that's going to be, like, something that 
might be a risk to the network because I am still going to have like the the show and the the network itself being kind of in jeopardy in season two because it is not being the financial success that Luther wants it to be. Yes, Luther is never seen on the show, but he's this ominous figure of bad capitalist man. Um, <laughs> also, in the, like so, season two, the last three episodes deal with the network being sold. Mm-hmm. and they're concerned that whoever buys it is going to basically strip it for parts. They're going to dump all the uh, content and just use the like uh, cable and fiber components of the network. Oh, yeah. But then, fortunately, in Aaron Sorkin fashion, a benevolent billionaire comes in, played by Clark Gregg, of all people. Okay. And he, he shows up and he says, of course I'm going to keep Sports Night. Anyone who can't make money off of Sports Night should get out of the money-making business. And then Aaron Sorkin looks directly at ABC and says, fuck you. <laughs> but yeah, that's not good. No Benevin Billionaires, no Quo Vadis, no Calvin Trager in this version. The network is not going to be sold, but Sports Night itself, actually, mainly the, like the um, two anchors, Dan and Casey, are mm-hmm. at risk of being let go by Luther Sachs because Luther Sachs is kind of sick of them because they're telling the news as it is and not what yeah. the network wants it to look like. Oh, yeah. They are making things um, very inconvenient for Luther Sachs. <laughs> Yes, they are becoming liabilities. So he wants to sack them so that he can have a show that tells news the way his investors want to hear it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, gotta protect your investments in those up-and-coming stars that are probably going to have CTE by the time that they're, like, 30. Mm-hmm. So, Dan, in case, like, the, the rumor itself is, like, being used as ammunition against them. And, uh, like, at this point, like, at the end of the season two, I'll go back and talk about some meat of season two after, but the end of season two would deal with, like, the main six of Dan, Casey, Jeremy, Natalie, Isaac, and Dana. That's seven. No, that is six. Yeah, that's six. <laughs> but it's it deals with them, like, trying to say, like, you're going to be fired because the rumor makes you, like, a liability. And then at some point someone will say, wait a second, but if we confirmed our relationship, then it would look really bad, actually, for Luther to be firing us <laughs> oh, yeah. immediately after we came out as dating on air. Mm-hmm. And, like, that would be one of the through lines through the second season would be, I'm guessing Casey would want to go public and Dan is more concerned about how people would react. Dan is usually the more masculine. Actually, no, there's not really a difference of the more masculine between the two of them, but I feel like Dan thinks he's the more masculine of the two of them. Okay, uh, probably thinks he's more the, I guess, traditionally masculine, more macho sports guy. I mean, neither of them are especially effeminate or camp, but I think Dan has a complex about it, so he is he is assigned himself as as mask. Yeah. And Casey is like, I don't see the difference of this. We're, we're both guys. That's the premise of this relationship, you know. Yes. Um. But yeah, Dan also he he. There is a scene in the real season two where Dan's father comes for a visit. This was another plot that went nowhere. Like Dan's father comes in for like five minutes. It is acts completely disinterested with everything about his son's life, says that his haircut makes him look gay, and then leaves. In my version, that's still going to happen, but this is going to be, like, a bigger thing for Dan, because it's like, oh god, does he know? He's obviously going to be terrible about it. What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? Okay. And then Dan goes to therapy. I might keep the reason he goes to therapy the same in mind, in that he accidentally started going to therapy. <laughs> How do you accidentally start going to therapy? So he was flirting with the therapist... Okay, he he was not even flirting. He was venting to a woman at a bar who he didn't know was a therapist until he got her card. And then he <laughs> makes a date with her. And Casey bugs him saying, you didn't make a date for a date. You made a date for a therapy appointment. <laughs> Which is bas- it, it is basically the therapist handing him her card and saying, I'd like to study you. Yeah. <laughs> and then he shows up for the date. And it turns out it was supposed to be a date. But he starts rambling about why he doesn't need therapy. <laughs> And then about, like, after that whole session, his the therapist is like, do you want to sit down? Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so now, date canceled, time for therapy. <laughs> Just immediately breaks out the notepad and the pen. All right. Yeah. And then, I think, incorporating another factor um, that happened in the real season, too. So, Dan gets kind of snippy with Casey because there's, like, a ranking of the 100 best sports personalities. And Casey is 92, and Dan doesn't even make the cut. And he compares it to a news story they had where there was a guy who set the record for long jump and then that record was beaten five minutes later and he was talking about how no one's going to remember the guy who held the record for five minutes because he'll never get a chance to beat it again. Nobody cares about second place. (laughs) And 
digging into the therapy, it's basically going to be Dan concerned that if Casey were to come out, Casey would be fine, and Dan would not. Dan's reputation might suffer for it. Mm. And this is based on nothing other than his psychoses. Yeah. This is all just a complex and inferiority complex. We're going to be, yes, we're armchair psychologizing this. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so basically the end of the season would be Casey, or not Casey, Casey's fine. It would be Dan, like, get, getting over his this issue, or at least being able to deal with it long enough to say, we should confirm our relationship on air, and then that would it would be a terrible look for Luther to try and fire us right after that, so he is going to have to find another way to mess with our show, but we're still here. And, like, in my mind, I can see, like, the, the our, our top stories tonight are this, this, and this, but first... There have been rumors going around that uh, me and Case, that me and my co-anchor Casey McCall have been in relationship with each other for the past three months, and we're here to say that those rumors are false. It has actually been closer to a year. <laughs> <laughs> in other news, the the Leafs suck. We go now to our field reporter. <laughs> <laughs> Cut over to my brother. <laughs> I I just had to think of a team. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, the Leafs do suck. They are such an overrated team. The only reason why that they're so big in Canada is because of the fucking CBC. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that would be the crooks of season two. And then season three, because they never got a season three. So for yeah. me, season three would basically just them dealing with the fallout. Okay. Um, so let me go back and talk about some meat of the stuff. So Jeremy and Natalie start dating in season one. They're terrible for each other. I'm pretty sure relationship is almost purely based on sex. That was so that's another one of Aaron Sorkin's sins is that when a woman gets really in love with a guy, you feel like he is Aaron Sorkin, and that that woman is either a woman he wanted to date or did date and failed to. And also, whenever the women break up with the guy, it's for reasons that Aaron Sorkin feels are unjust <laughs> for his own breakups. Yeah, it's mm, there, there's there's a level of self insertion that I can I can sense in these. And we fanfic writers get you know, bash about for self-inserts. Yeah. It's very... you. You. I mean, honestly, I wouldn't be shocked if Aaron Sorkin saw a little bit of himself in Mark Zuckerberg when he wrote Social Network. Mm, yeah, probably. Um, But yeah, Jeremy and Natalie are not great together. And I'm actually going to have Jeremy leave the show in season two because he he can tell that he is, like, making things awkward between himself and Natalie. In in the original show, Jeremy was like, oh, I feel sad because I'm being left out and everyone is siding with Natalie. I'm not going to have people take sides on the breakup in mine, but I am going to have Jeremy like be the bigger person and realize Natalie is so much more passionate about this than I am, and Natalie has learned a lot more about this than I have in my past year here, and I am glad that I was here, but I feel like I need to move on. So, Jeremy leaves. Au revoir. Um, I'm also probably in season three gonna have Isaac get kicked up because there has to be consequences of some kind so I'm gonna have Isaac get kicked upstairs okay like I would be like oh Isaac you're getting a promotion Isaac's like yes I'm getting a promotion where I cannot intervene if something happens to you guys yeah but the the outcome of that would be that he is able to set Dana up to take his position afterwards which would mean that Natalie gets promoted to executive producer from Mm -hmm. senior associate that means that we can introduce some new characters in season three. My ideas for the new characters. Um, one of them is going to be Jeremy's sister Louise, who we never see in the show, but she is mentioned several times. And Louise is deaf. She's also Jewish, um, just obviously because Jeremy's Jewish, so so is she. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it would just be good to have a character like that on a show. Mm-hmm. And she can be like the polar opposite of Jeremy. Yeah. <laughs> much more, much more outgoing, much more like competent around people. Yes. Um, and the other character would be. Dana's younger brother, the one who got suspended for the steroid abuse. And he can come in and we can examine, like, what would push a guy, a young guy who had a bright future ahead of him, to feel like he had to take steroids and the fallout of that and just, like, drug stigma in general. Because we could even upgrade it and say that he got into some other drug stuff and Dana, Dana getting him this job was basically Dana trying to keep him close to make sure that he didn't do anything else to get him into trouble. Yeah. And then, of course, that'll be a whole thing. Be like, I, I thought I earned this uh, internship, and now you're saying you, I just got hired because you're my sister. And Dana's like, of course I'm your sister. I have to look out for you. And, he's, and then uh, Kyle will go, but I have to look out for me, too. Or something like that. I haven't written the fanfic that far. 
Also, just because this would be set in the modern day, it's not going to be a 1998 period piece because that is a weird time to set a period piece. Um, yeah. Because it's set in the modern day, we can talk about the other issues going on in the sports because, you know, the more things change, the more things stay the same. Mm-hmm. There's still plenty of athletes who are terrible people, but they're given a pass because they're athletes and they're being paid highly. But they're also, there's, you can talk about like the implicit racial bias going on, all yeah. of the Colin Kaepernick stuff, which is still falling out after so many years. Yeah. Um, you can obviously talk about the the ban on trans kids in sports that yeah. has been going on in so many states. Um, and also uplifting stuff. Like, Louise could be brought on and like, it's... <sighs> It, it is kind of obvious that, like, Louise, we're going to you for special correspondence for Special Olympics because you're deaf. But also Louise can, like, highlight these athletes and get them to understand, that, like, maybe you, you shouldn't just be trotting out these athletes during the Special Olympics. Like, they, they're not athletes once every four years. Th- yeah. These people are always athletes. Mm-hmm. They're probably doing just as amazing work as every other athlete. Just a bit of a sidebar. So I remember on Twitter there was like this thing where like someone would post like an old video of like the Olympics from like the 1960s, like of the gymnastics routine. And the person's going like fairly slow and it looks fairly easy. And then you compare it to today. Here's the thing about athletes. They're fucking competitive. Yeah. Do you not think that the sport wouldn't have evolved because someone is watching that routine in 1962 and it's like, I could do better than that. Like it's that simple. Yes, let's celebrate the excellence of the athletes nowadays, but you have to remember the sport has changed. <laughs> yeah, athletes are super competitive. Um, and that did just remind me of the fact that Simone Biles is out here doing incredible gymnastic stuff, but they're trying to like skew things away from her because they're they're worried. They say they say they're worried that she's too good to compete with her competitors, but really just just concerned that this awesome black girl is like passing all the bars and stuff. Um, um, I feel like I feel like if the Sports Night show premiered this year, Simone Biles would be guest starring on it. Yes. And I feel like Simone Biles has taken acting lessons because she does recognize that she ha- could be a brand. Yes. And also, like, there is going to be a day when an athlete does surpass Simone Biles. Yes, exactly. Although I, f- I feel like we're reaching a level that's going to be pretty tough. <laughs> oh, yeah, I think... <sighs> Let's see, the human body, like, the fastest anybody can run without, like, breaking their tendons at this point is about 30 kilometers an hour, and Usain Bolt is really pushing it. So, I don't know, maybe evolution weird shit's gonna happen soon? I don't, I will say, I don't think any track records are gonna be being broken anytime soon, just because I feel like we're in a bad generation for knees. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what happened. <laughs> but yeah, like who knows what's going to happen with technology and being able to like what the shit that we're putting into our environment is going to do do to us, what the shit we're putting in our, into our bodies is going to do to us. Also, like what technology is going to be able to allow us to do. Yeah. And then how much of that would be allowed in like athleticism before people say this is an unfair disadvantage or this is not representative of the human body's capabilities mm-hmm. so let's see i'm thinking oh yeah another thing so speaking of the the trans stuff so obviously season three itself would be much higher on the uh queer stuff just because yeah. now now dan and casey are in it like they're in it yes <laughs> and like they're afforded quite a bit of privilege because they are white men and they're celebrities. Mm-hmm. But like now that they are have declared themselves part of this community, now everyone's going to be looking for them for their opinions on X, Y, and Z in the community. And I, I, I feel like this is would be especially a good point as well. Season three, just because it didn't exist originally, yeah. but this is a, a great point to start diverging from Aaron Sorkin centrism, <laughs> almost go, go, going at him for the stuff that he has said, which I he has not said a lot about the queerness and lgbt people on the thing beyond just like hey they deserve rights but like it almost feels condescending sometimes like there was an episode of the newsroom where uh will mcavoy the main guy he is like doing this whole thing and uh talking to a gay black republican who worked for rick santorum who was apparently inspired by a real gay black republican that worked for rick santorum um, and he's going through all the stuff like this is what Rick, these are all the rights that Rick Santorum doesn't think you deserve. And basically the guy goes off on him and says that like, y- like, I don't need to hear from a, a straight white man what I can and should not be doing and, and that stuff. And it's like, okay, but you're, you're black and gay. Why are you even here? 
Yeah. Like, um... If... It, it, it felt weird coming... For, coming for, Words written by a straight white man coming out of the mouth of another straight white man telling a black gay guy what he could and couldn't be doing, but, all and like, trying to show him the light, basically. Yeah. And I think it, it would be better for queer characters, hopefully played by queer actors and definitely written by queer writers, having these discussions better and then going for a, like, a much more radicalized stance. Like, I definitely feel like Dan is someone who, like, at the top of an episode would say no kink of pride and then reverses his stance by, like, the end of the episode or after a few episodes. Mm -hmm. And, like, there would be people complaining about all the privilege they have and and they'd be like, we can't do much about that except elevating, so what are the stories you need us to elevate? Mm -hmm. Like, the whole situation with uh, trans athletes and how, like, HRT... From what I understand, it's not going to give you the advantages you think it's going to give you. Yeah, exactly. It's the, the they're they're normal hormones that the body creates. Yeah, it from what I understand, it almost seems like the body has to rearrange itself before it's basically allowing the body to rearrange itself. But that also like kind of messes you up for a while. So no, like during those, especially if you're doing it during your peak years of athleticism, it can actually delay you for a long time from competing. Yeah, because it. It slams your body hard enough that it shifts it, the the way it thought it was supposed to be creating itself. Because like, the, the hormones, that's what they do. Hormones tell your body yeah. how to build itself. Yeah, and it almost sounds like your body almost atrophies for a bit before like it gets to where it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And it's, it is essentially a second puberty. Yeah. And even... And, oh, and here, here's a fun fact, people. A lot of cis people also have to go on hormone therapy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's just a thing. Yeah. Fuck, we might not be as bi-gender as we thought we were. I think there was a biologist who said that humans have one of the least amounts of sexual dimorphism in mammals, like, on the planet. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, even even if you want to get into the biology, like, anything that's quote-unquote male is just rearrangements of a a quote-unquote female and vice versa. Yeah. I guess another thing involving... Or just, like, gender in general, like, male professional athletes, cis male professional athletes get all of the attention because that's where the money is apparently it's. The U.S. female women's soccer team should be paid more because they actually win shit. A a majority of women's soccer teams or women's teams in general should be paid more. Yeah, there is a huge wage gap between the two. Yeah. Not just the wage gap, it's also the attention gap. Yeah. Well, they, and they kind of feed into each other, too. It's like, yeah. we're not going to pay you as much because you don't get enough attention, and you're not getting much attention, so why should we pay you as much? Mm-hmm. And, like, that's one of those stories that would probably, they'd come to blows with over the network executives because they want to talk about it, and they're saying, well, no, because then it's going to make the teams that we own look bad. And it's like, have you even talked to the members of the team? Yeah. I don't know, maybe they want their... They want some more attention onto other athletes. And hey, it might make you more money because you can find a fucking niche audience. There. Exactly. But really, that's that, that just kind of highlights what all news comes down to is that so much of news is based on what the investors want to hear rather than the actual news being reported. Yeah, and especially in a 24-hour news cycle, like it's all about getting eyes onto a story, keeping you glued onto something, even though like it could be the most innocuous unimportant thing in the world is that how that word is pronounced that's how i pronounce it i thought it was innocuous you know what yeah it's probably innocuous i was willing to believe it was innocuous i was willing to believe you (laughs) i am smart in certain situations i am not smart in other situations okay (laughs) unlike me a science english major at birth The nurse just looked at you and, and is like, yeah, you're going to have a degree in useless. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, but yeah, I think no, also... No, no, your degree is useful. I think also um, that's because it's sports. So I'm not going to say that other news... It, I'm not Okay, so sports isn't unimportant, but it's... It's treated as unimportant. But it, that also makes it feel a little bit more relatable to the yeah. average person. Like, if you're watching news and watching the politics... Like, if unless you know about politics, I'm guessing, like, two-thirds of it or a third of it is going to go over your head. Yeah. Because it's talking about stuff that you're not versed in. But if you like sports, you watch sports, you understand the sports. And I think 
sports, and they can even, again, this is something they can say in the show, is that sports is a great avenue for social issues to be translated to the common populace. Yeah. Because it is easier to grasp why it is an issue and how these people are affected. Yeah. Like you, it is entire potential that people care more about trans issues when they see it through the lens of sports than when it is just in a vacuum. Yeah. And like sports and politics have gone hand in hand since like forever. Like mm-hmm. one of the big reasons why the ancient Olympics was such a big thing was that it was a way for the different city states in Greece to show off their money and wealth. Still is. Like, look at this awesome athlete that we were able to put to pump in so much money into uh, a lot of Spartan, very wealthy Spartan women sponsored male athletes to go in their stead because like women weren't allowed to go to the Olympics. So, and they would be like, Kiriaki sponsored this uh, chariot racer. Hmm. And they made it very clear who was behind this guy. Whenever the Olympics comes around, one of the biggest issues is like nobody actually wants to host the Olympics except for a couple big countries because nobody wants to foot the bill. And they're often left with these uh, with these buildings that they can't really use afterwards. Unless they host the Olympics again. Unless they host the Olympics again or you get really creative. Like uh, LA was really lucky in that they figured out ways to both adapt already existing buildings to accommodate the Olympics and then use stuff that they would have to build no matter what for further sports and entertainment events. Vancouver also got a bit lucky with that too, because we already had a lot of the stuff available that was at Olympic level. Yeah. But other cities like fuck the Brazil games in Rio, that just fucked over so many people. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is that even even the best Olympics usually do because it displaces a whole bunch of people. It, mm-hmm. <sighs> and then especially this year, where people are still trying to get them to stop the Tokyo Olympics, and I agree. Yeah, and I'm someone who does enjoy watching the Olympics because it is such a great showcase for these athletes, but... I enjoy like, the concept it. of the Olympics, but I think for a long time they have been done more damage than they have good. Yeah, and it's... It's also been used as a political pissing match because, yep. like, Atlanta and the Moscow games back in the 80s, like, <laughs> or fuck, the Berlin Olympics in 36. Oof. Yeah. Or, you know, we could talk about the, we could have an episode about the FIFA World Cup and being hosted by a Middle Eastern country that I shall not name, even though... Uh, there was quite a bit of slave labor involved. Yeah. Didn't um, WWE do a thing with that, too? Yep. But they couldn't Vince even McMahon have is a fucking monster, so I expect yeah. nothing good from him. Oh, they should have a WWE episode. Yes! Because, like, there's so many issues within wrestling, because um, a lot of the wrestlers are pretty much contractors. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a lot of labor issues that lead to a lot of the physical and medical problems that wrestlers develop over time. <laughs> I love sports, but I also know there is a massive dark side to this. Um. Also, this is much lighter than the other stuff, but they could also try and talk about esports, or maybe the yeah the the network wants them to talk about esports, and like they're like, uh, the start of the episode would be like, oh, this isn't even a real sport. And then the end of the episode is like, these teams are sexist and we brought in a girl who was like kicked out of one to comment on it. Yes. Also, those those guys do work extremely long hours. They do. It's it's different effort, but it's still effort. Yeah. Oh, wait, like, wait, a, mm, wait a second. <laughs> we, could, we could have the esports episode and then turn that into a subplot about them just like developing an esports division and then it's the spin-off of sports night it's called <laughs> gamers night yes <laughs> yeah because the only pure sports out there is like darts <laughs> it's just middle-aged very drunk british men throwing pointed objects at a corkboard. i mean l- listen they've been showing poker on the sports channels for a while so i know they're not I allowed know. to complain about esports yeah nobody has a right to complain about esports also why don't we have a chess episode because chess masters are fucking nuts so here's the thing about that whole smart people pay play chess trope um the people who are chess masters their entire life is just chess. 
like nothing exists but chess because in order to get good at chess you have to do like a thousand hours of practice or something like good on them but also damn that's just your life yeah (laughs) (laughs) um i think i mean we've gone for over an hour now so we should probably wrap up soon i think i covered everything that i wanted to cover I was considering talking about, like, who everyone's new love interests would be, but really the only love interests that matter are Dan and Casey. Yeah. I don't know. If different actors have good chemistry, then you can just write that. Oh, what if they have an episode where they find out that people are writing fanfiction about them? Oh my god, because real person fanfiction in sport is just a massive thing, especially within hockey. Yes, oh my gosh, and you, it, it sneaks up on you. I will be casually, like, rousing and completely unrelated tag on <laughs> AO3, and then it just pops up and it's like, ah, it's, it's a crossover between fucking Teen Wolf and Hockey RPF. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> Sydney Crosby and, like, uh, I don't know, the characters from Riverdale. <laughs> <laughs> what, what if Sydney Crosby guest starred... And Dan and Casey are like, do you know they're writing fanfiction about us? And Sydney's like, yeah, I've been there. And they're like, what? <laughs> are you ready to see AO3? <laughs> <laughs> it, no. Oh, so what would ha- probably happen would someone would send their fanfic in because they're like 14 and they don't know the rules. Oh, no! And so someone has to explain the premise to them. And then someone on staff probably writes fanfic and they're like, it's a perfectly healthy thing, but there are rules and no one is teaching these kids the rules. <laughs> so I have to send a kindly worded letter to let this poor child know you're not supposed to send it to the creators or like the celebrities involved. Okay, honey? Yeah. You do you. We don't want to see it. Yes. <laughs> Now, if, if fanfic ever appears, that is of me. I do want to see it, but I have no idea who I would be with, so, like, I'm not important enough to get fanfic written about me. Honestly, I'm terrified of that prospect, so, um, you keep me ignorant. <laughs> hey, remember when one of our life goals was to get onto Channel Awesome, and then we were like, I wonder who they'll write fanfic of us with. Oh, you were so naive. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, while while we <laughs> while we just uh, contemplate our naivete of our youth, <laughs> I'm gonna go over to our field reporter <laughs> with a friendship promo. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Adoran Region Sports Podcast. I am your host, Adoran himself, here to talk to you about the new sports league that is starting up at this very moment: the Adoran Region Basketball Association or the ARBA, is starting soon. The draft is a couple of weeks away, and events have never been more impactful. When checking out this podcast, you'll be able to see not only the games that are being played every weekend, but you'll also hear from our three special shows about these games, special debates, and other fantastic events. The first, on Monday, you get to hear from our debate show, Heads or Tails, where we have a natural sports debate talking about all of the breaking news from the previous game. On Wednesdays, check out our radio show, The Adoran Show, brought to you by me, Adoran himself, as we talk about breaking news, big events in the sports world, and everything in between. Finally, on Fridays, check out the marquee Friday night matchup with our show, ARBA Tonight. There, you get a look not only at the upcoming games, but also a specialized halftime show for these specific games. All of this is available for you. All you have to do is click that subscribe button and be sure to check us out every day that we release episodes. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you at the next game. And we're back. So... Lindsay, where can you be found on the internet? I can be found on Twitter at lindsaym476. It's Lindsay spelled with an A, and you can get to all my other social media bullshits from there. Tanner, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at SparkyUpstart and Instagram at SparkyYoungUpstart. And you can also find this very podcast on Twitter at N-I-I-R-Y-F-Pod. And if you haven't used those letters to spell out not if I repeat you first, then you haven't seen Shakespeare the way it was meant to be played. <laughs> You can also email us at notifyrebootyoufirst at gmail.com where you can send us your comments, critiques, criticisms, and your favorite Sorkinian quip. 
That's where you can send us a friendship promo, be it an audio clip or a proof for us to read. Either way, we'll put in a free ad for your podcast or YouTube or even your DeviantArt. Not If I Reboot You First is a member of the Corner Podcast Network, and you can find out more about this show or others on the network via our Corner Podcast Discord. Our cover art, as always, is by Alex aka Pachu, and her work can be found on ptchew.com. And our theme music is done by our friend Sean Clake, and you can contact us to find out how to contact him if you'd like music of his own for your own. This podcast is recorded on Treaty 4 territory, the traditional territory of the Cree and Sultil, Assiniboine, and Métis. And last but not least, don't forget that you can buy this episode for yourself. That's right, it's not an NFT, it's just your name on a spreadsheet, but for a $5 donation to the North Central Family Center, link in the description, we will declare that you are the owner of this podcast episode or any episode that you so desire. So, Lindsay. So, Tanner, how are we going about Pride? Um, well, I think... You know how sometimes we make things gay? Yeah. I, I, I think we just keep doing that as... It is hard to do special Pride stuff for a podcast where every other episode is like, by the way, this is gay now. Yeah. Well. Hmm. We didn't really have much planned. But how about just some good old boys? <laughs> Never mean no harm. <laughs> I'm gonna make my dad, like, either love this or hate this, so, yeah. Well, we can look forward to the Don Mitchell opinions next week, but not... <laughs> <laughs> if we reboot you first. <laughs> Bye.